0: Jesus, who really follow him, do it so dedicatedly, so determinedly, because they know he's real, because they feel him, because they've experienced him. Other people, just, they, they just go through the motions of Christianity. They'll be the first ones to, you know, to kind of poop out, if you will, because they don't have an experience with God. They don't, they, it's, just a, it's just a duty the, for, you know, to, to them. But when you know him... It's kind, of like, it's kind of like when you love someone, you, you want to be with them. You know, you, you can love other people, but you don't always hanging out with them all the time. But there's some people you love and you want to be with them. And you don't want to do anything to hurt them. And when you do hurt them, you apologize and you try to make things right. You don't want to conflict. And that's what it is with, that's what it is with the Lord when you really know Him, when you begin to feel Him and experience Him, you want things to stay clear between you and you, you, you want to know Him and, and enjoy Him and fellowship with Him. So, the, we've, we've, the, Jesus was, was, again, over and over again, you see it in John chapter 14, just before He's going to die. And I, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but, but, but how He would just wanted to explain to the, the guys, kind of, let, let, let's summarize, guys, the last three and a half years because I'm going to die tomorrow. And I tell you, it wasn't too good. They didn't pass the test very well. Uh, Lord, am I that slow too? You know, man, they were slow. You know, Jesus, one time he said, Philip, have I been with you this long and you still don't know what I'm talking about? Three and a half years, you've seen all this stuff going on. You've seen me. And anyway, Jesus was so uh, adamant that we understand the Father to be able to know how to pray. And that's what I want. So he's trying to get the pagan ideas out of our minds. He's trying to get the pagan, uh, the pagan thoughts or the, the, the pagan practices out of our mind. So let's read here Luke chapter 18. And, and then this, is, uh, this is the second parable Jesus gives regarding prayer, regarding persevering prayer. And I, I want to we need to see this from a different angle that I think will help us today. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Guys, we feel like giving up sometimes, don't don't we? And I think sometimes we, give, we want to give up because we, we don't have the right attitude about prayer. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, No, even though I don't fear God and I don't care what people think. Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me or wear me out is another way to put it. And the Lord said, listen to what that unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for His chosen ones who cry out to Him day and night? Will He keep putting them off? I tell you, He will see that they get justice and look here, and quickly. So He's saying, God's not like that judge because He wants to answer our prayers quickly, you see. He will see that you get justice and get it quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? Father, I pray today that as we continue to look at the principles of what Jesus is trying to teach us, I pray, Lord, that you would keep the distractions at bay and help us just to gather uh, something that we can understand that will help us today to become better prayers and more enjoyable prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. Spring's finally here. I tell you, I, I got the. I've been thinking about this last week. That it's uh, so much in the air, and it's caused me to think about all kinds of things. About cleaning out the dead of winter and my beehives, and and cleaning out the dead of winter and the in the in uh, the landscaping and in the in in the in the gardening and getting that manure tilled in really good. You know, getting ready to to, to plant and uh, the the. the uh, The seeds here in just a few weeks here, and um, most of the time it's kind of a time when we think about discarding the junk in our lives, isn't it? Like uh, a lot of times you think, oh, I feel like decluttering a little bit. I I was sharing with with I think Karen today that I I heard someone say this past week that that um, physical clutter creates emotional clutter. I like that. I think well I think that's true. Sometimes when we're not when things are just Piled up all around us, it just—it's hard to think straight, isn't it? You know, so uh, you know, one of our goals—baking—we you know, write goals every year. Our one of our spring goals here is to begin decluttering. You know, not only for our own—you know—because if we don't, we're going to go insane. <laughs> you know, that's what happens, isn't it? When you when you have too much stuff, you go insane. Um, <clears throat> But the uh, uh, so we're going to try to declutter uh, our lives a little bit better, so we can think more clearly and more more plainly. And uh, anyway, that's, that's what spring kind of helps us with. Um, I got to think, and I heard I, uh, the Paul tells us in First Corinthians. We didn't read this scripture, but you can read it later on First Corinthians chapter three, verses ten to fifteen. He talks about how that there's on that great day when all of us stand before the Lord. And I want you to think about. There is a sense, yeah, we should be fearful that day, I mean, in the sense that, not in, in the right sense of fearful, that we want to live careful lives here. We don't want to get sluggish and, and, and sleepy spiritually. We want to stay alive and connected to God here on this earth. But when we stand before the Lord on that great day, loved ones, there will be no fear in our hearts. Amen. Those people over there on the left. There's plenty of fear in their hearts, but not with God's people. Not with God's people. As we stand before Him, there's no fear in our hearts, for we know the King. And we have been forgiven. We know our sins are forgiven. We, we, we know where we stand. We're, on the, we're standing on the sheep's side, and there's no fear in our hearts. We know we're going to heaven. We know we belong to Him, and we're going to enter into that great joy of the Lord on that great judgment day. And uh, so there's no fear in our hearts. At the same time, there is going to be, Paul says in that section of scripture, there's going to be some spring cleaning going on. There'll be some decluttering. Because here on this earth, we are in the process of learning how to become more Christ-like. Discipleship means putting off things, things that are unchrist like and putting on things that are Christ-like. We put off thinking thats is un-Christ-like or that is worldly. We put those things off. It's, and then we put on the things by reading the Word of God. We put on the right thoughts. The Holy Spirit helps us do this. It's called sanctification. We, we go through it day after day where the Lord is working with us. It's called discipleship. We're becoming more Christ-like. That's the goal of the Nazarene Church is to create Christ-like followers, amen? That's, that's the biblical goal, amen? So. That we're in that process of learning how to how to think more like Jesus We're all Jesus said we all have different potentials remember Matthew chapter 25 he says uh, That's the way God created us he said there's when there's one person that gets saved and they have the they have a discipleship potential of one of one it's not, it's not that they're not valuable or precious to God. Everybody's equal in the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus said. He said, just as the Father and I are one, uh, so you who believe in me are one. So you're all equal. You're not, no one's more special to God than anybody else, okay? We're all the same level. However, he does give different levels of potential to, we're not all equal in that. And that's just a common principle we recognize in our country even too. So we're not equal there. But so God says this person, and really that's very practical. We see that. That's the way life is too. That's the way life happens, that we see some people have more potential than others. But what the Lord says in that is that you have one potential to discipleship and somebody else has two potentials of discipleship and somebody else has five potentials, you know. The point is they all have that potential. They're responsible, you're responsible now, go to work, go to work with what I've given you. Go to work with, what the, with the knowledge I've given you, with the abilities, with the opportunities that I've given you. Go to work with that. And so we begin following the Lord. We begin reading our our Bibles. We begin doing what we know is right. We begin going to church. We begin giving offerings. We begin tithing. We begin um, forgiving our enemies, forgiving people who are not our enemies. We begin going to people and asking their forgiveness when we've offended them. And, And we begin trying to please Him because we want to be like Him. And we find that suddenly something's taking place. I mean... When we were born again, we made this giant leap toward Christ-likeness, so we had we got a great start, but there's a lot of rough edges that God's trying to polish off of us that are unChristlike. like And so we, we surrender here, we say, Lord, I'm sorry. I, I'm thinking the wrong way about, about, about that person. And. Um, Help me to think the way Jesus thinks, the way the Word tells me I should think. And so Holy Spirit begins to transform us. And, and all of a sudden we found out that uh, we'll leave the guy with the one alone, okay. But the person with the two, all of a sudden they thought, well, man, after maybe, who knows, maybe a month, maybe two months, maybe a year, I don't know what the time would be. But you wake up one day and think, you know, I'm, I'm more Christ-like than I was before. I, I think I'm four now instead of just two. And the guy over here, he says, you know, I, I, think I'm, I think I'm 10 because I have this opportunity, this opportunity, and I, I'm taking advantage of these opportunities, and I'm, I'm trying to do all I can to please the Lord. This guy over right here with one, he buries his potential, does nothing, does nothing. Jesus, the one gave us his parable, Matthew 25. I think this is the uh, illustration of what life is like for Christians, and that's this is the kind of life we see in the church too. You see some people doing nothing. They come to church once or twice a year, maybe once a month. Have never read their Bibles. Never give. Never ask apologies for. You know, never forgive people. Never they, they never ask for forgiveness. They're hateful. They're they're unloving. You know, and they've just buried. They say they're a Christian, but they've they've buried everything about Christ's likeness in the ground. They're not doing anything. Yes, it's painful. It hurts when you... There's, there's some things we do for the Lord that really hurts. But it's the best thing for us is to shed ourselves and say, Lord, you take over. Yeah. So here we are in that great day. And Jesus said that this person here when they have to give an account of their lives on that great day they 're not on the sheep 's side they 're on the other side they 're on that side. so there is great fear they have not sought to glorify Christ with their life, that somehow their salvation wasn 't that crucial to them they didn 't see the vast the importance of it, the preciousness of it that it wasn 't more precious than gold to them. There, there, it just wasn't the most precious possession that they could ever have. There were other things more important. There was, there was money that was important. There was, you know, oh, I'm not going to tithe, it's my money. There was other things just more precious to them than their salvation. And so Jesus said that they, they're cast out. However, the ones who are trying to obey the Lord as we 're standing here before the Lord on that great day we 're not afraid as we we know he 's the blood of Christ has washed our sins away we've become we 've been transformed with the children of god and but yet God has to do some spring cleaning, not because of rebellion in our lives. no, if we have rebellious attitude we 're not going to make it. Rebellion is not acceptable if you if, if 're not willing to obey the Lord. And that's an issue that I hope you'll deal with quickly because people in rebellion don't stand on the sheep side. They stand on the goat side. So we're on the sheep side. And, but there's still things that in our lives that, where we just didn't quite get it. Little rough edges still. It wasn't out of rebellion. The Lord knows our hearts. It wasn't out of, out of, out of rebellion. But the Apostle Paul tells us there in First Corinthians, he says, we'll all be evaluated by the Lord. And it's not a fearful thing. It's a day where we, we say, Lord, I've, I, I got up to six. Here I am. I, whatever I am, you've helped me to become. And, and uh, praise your name. Here's, here's what your grace has done in my life. the Lord he says he puts us through his testing fire and whatever isn't the right thoughts that because of human weaknesses human failures they burn up and what is genuine remains and he rewards us but there's no shame or anything because we've approached him we've done we've done all we can do we've done our best and he knows it and like Stuart Briscoe says he just went to heaven last August. I really loved that. He was a great preacher. He said, it'll be the day when God says, thank you to us. Thank you for serving me. Thank you. Yeah. Well, the, the point is, is that um, um, one of these thoughts, I, I believe, one of these things that that God wants to rid us of, and I think he wants to rid us of it now and not necessarily when we get to heaven, I think it's the will of God for us now because Jesus made such an emphasis on it, is our perspective of the Father. That if your perspective of God or of, of, of the Father is imperfect when you get to heaven, it will be perfected. God will, he will rub off all the rough edges. He's going to spring clean your brain. You know, he's going to spring clean your thinking and say, you know, you didn't quite get that on earth. It's not because you were rebelling, but you just didn't quite get it. I'm going to show you more clearly. And he rubs off, he burns up all the, all the wrong thinking. But I believe he wants us to do our best here to try to get the, you know, the right perspective on who the Father is. And uh, Jesus is really focused on that, isn't he? And again, like I said, Jesus is, um, just before he's going to the cross, he's been with the disciples three and a half years. And, and remember, he, he starts out saying something. He says, Men, I uh, want you to know I am the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way of the Father. And then Philip says, You know, uh, Lord, show us the Father. And Jesus said, Philip, I've been with you all this time, and, and you don't, don't know. I can, you can kind of, I imagine there's kind of some agony in Jesus's voice, like, ah, good grief, you guys, you know, <laughs> and paraphrasing it, you know, good grief, don't, you've been with me all this time and you don't know, have you been listening? I've been telling you who the Father is all this time and, and you know how much I love him and, and I wouldn't tell you a lie about him. You can, when you see me, Philip, you've seen the Father. I'm exactly the way the Father is. It, it, yes, I know in Old Testament he's in, he's invisible and and, and you have a, a kind of this image of the Father. But when you see the Father, I mean, when you see me, you see the Father, Philip. You know, that's what in he's trying to get that across. To him, you know, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe the evidence of the miracles that I've been doing. So, Lord, when when I when we stand before the heavenly Father on that great day. I think at least in this one area, I want to be able to say, I know who you are. I know you, Father. I know who you are because you helped me to understand that when I was on earth. Uh, So many of God's children are in chains when it comes to how they perceive their Heavenly Father. Some look upon Him as a grandpa who just excuses any sinful thing and so they just kind of think sin's not that big a deal because God loves me and it's going to be all right. you know. And that's the wrong understanding of God. Sin matters to God. It really matters. So he's not like a grandpa. Other people think he's this mean ogre that you make one mistake and it's off with your head, you know. So there's a, uh, there's a under, we need to come to understanding, um, Know that he's not cruel and unreasonable, ready to condemn and punish. Jesus again, he tries to teach us that that that, the. the, that who the Father is you know before we get to heaven he wants us to understand that he shows us that the Heavenly Father is not like those pagan gods who had to appease you had to appease them and wear them down and use a lot of foolish words just so they get tired of hearing you speak so they would answer your prayer so just to shut you up you know Jesus said that that's uh, you know that's a very foolish way of thinking and very foolish uh, um, it's foolish to bring that mentality into praying and thinking that just because you're talking a lot that that's going to somehow touch God's heart. God cares for you already, he says. You know, he already knows your needs before you even pray. And uh, so um, Jesus has already been trying to, con- you know, he conveys that truth, to, has been conveying that truth to them. Um matter of fact, he said he knows about the birds, he knows every bird that falls to the ground. Psalm 50 talks about he knows that every insect in the field. <laughs> He knows every, every, every cattle, every, every cow. He knows every animal on, on the face of the earth. Um, he even knows the smallest insignificant details about you, Jesus said. He knows the number of hairs in your head. So if God knows that minute, if He knows such minute details about you, then He even knows your needs before you ask. <laughs> wow. Jesus, again, he, he wasn't trying to cast doubt in our minds that, that then why do we pray since God already knows what, what we need? No, 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 he's not trying to do that. On the contrary, he was trying to show us how eager God is to help us. He is so eager to help us. My Father wants to help you so eagerly. So He's not trying to avoid you. He knows our needs. He cares about our needs, Jesus said. he wants us to He wants us to get alone with him and ask him. He wants to know us and us to know him so Jesus uses this parable and I'll just briefly hit on the one we talked about last time before we really zero in on this one about the judge because they're both saying a very similar thing about three weeks ago we talked about the first parable that Luke gives us it's in Luke chapter 11 where Jesus talks about um, talking about who the father is and remember he, he says um, he says that um, uh, there was a man who had a uh, a guest to show up at midnight uh, and uh, he didn 't have anything to give the the guest remember i 'll just hit the highlights of this he didn 't have anyone to, he didn 't have any food to give the guests, so um, he went next door to a neighbor to get some bread now of course it 's midnight everybody 's in bed, and he 's knocking on the door, you know knocking on the door and and nobody's one 's answering, and he knocks you know, and finally, of course, they all slept in one main room right in front of the door. <laughs> And, and the man says, who is it? Who is it? What do you want? We're all in bed. We're all asleep. And, you know, the kids are asleep. My, you know, the family's asleep. I need some bread. No, it's night. I, I don't want to help you. I don't want to rouse, I don't want to rouse the family, blah, blah, blah. And, and, but he won't stop. And Jesus said that, you know, well, of course, in Jewish culture, it was your duty to get up and give the man some bread. If you didn't do that, then you were, you were you had a bad, it really damaged your reputation. You weren't hospitable at all. You, you, you weren't loving at all. So finally, I said that the way the scripture is translated there, that the shameful thing is upon the guy who's sleeping. He says, man, if I don't do something, I'll feel embarrassed tomorrow about this. So he gets up and gives the man the bread. He didn't do it out of love, his heart. He did it just because he was afraid of it. He was worried about his reputation. Jesus, remember we talked, three, three weeks ago, we talked about how that Jesus said, God is not like that. <laughs> Men, you think God is like that. But you got to keep pounding on the door to get God's attention. You think that's the way he is. He's not like that at all. You think that you got to keep pounding, pounding—that that's what persevering prayer is. It means getting God's attention, convincing Him of your need, hanging on till He finally answers you. Said God is not like that sleepy neighbor at all. And He goes on to say, "Remember that." You know, it goes on. What what was the scripture? I think I had it here for you. Which of you fathers, if your son asked for a fish, would he give him a snake instead? Or or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit or give good gifts to those who ask him? Jesus is saying, God's not like what you're thinking. God, think about how you want to give gift gifts to people you love. And you're, and you're evil. And God is perfectly good. How much more will he want to give good things to you? Wow! That's how personable God the Father wants to be with us. Amen? William uh, Cooper, um, an old Anglican poet and hymn writer back in the 1700s, he said, When we don't pray, we quit the fight. Prayer keeps the Christian armors bright, and Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. Jesus offers us a different way to pray your heavenly Father is very good toward you. You don't have to, he doesn't have to convince you, he shouldn't have to convince you he's good. Just believe that he's good. So Jesus is clearly trying here to illustrate the nature of persevering prayer is not us trying to beg God, oh please, no, do this, oh God. The nature of persevering prayer is knowing that we have a loving, good Father who heard us the very first time and the reason why we have to repeat it, it is for our good. It's for our good. Lord, I just want to remind you. I'm reminding myself too that my son needs to be saved. I know you hear me. But I know also you have to work through circumstances. You have to work in his life. You have to work through things. You have a timetable for him. But I'm going to keep praying for him because it's good to remind myself. Remind myself of your working in His life. Persevering prayer prayers for us—it is not trying to convince God to do something. It's—it's it's basically we're going to God knowing that He's good. Maybe sometimes I'm praying the wrong thing, where, and it's not happening the way I want it to happen. And I say, Lord, am I praying incorrectly? You know, it's not because you're not hearing me. You—you you do hear me, Jesus. See. Let me try to close this off here with this parable here because it's very this about the judge because it's very similar to the um, to the story of the the parable of the of the uh, sleepy neighbor. There, he Jesus identifies this uh, judge in a certain city. He's not a good judge at all. He lacks shame. He doesn't feel shame about anything. He doesn't care two hoots about people, and worst of all, he doesn't even care about God. He has no fear of God whatsoever. He's not a moral man at all. The judge is corrupt. He probably has received bribes, you know, for people to get their way. He's only concerned about his own interests. And uh, apparently that was not an uncommon thing in Jesus' day for judges to be that way. Then he possesses no honor, which would cause him to care about the widow's situation. And not even a destitute, despairing widow can can soften his heart at all. So Jesus, he brings this widow into the parable too. And apparently apparently she's just the epitome of a of, of, uh, oppressed and powerless person. Her husband is dead. She apparently has no family members to help her. And uh, in the Old Testament, the, God was very specific about this. The Father was very specific about this, that justice, the Israelites were required to take care of, first of all, the orphans and the widows before they took care of anybody else. Make sure that orphans and widows get protection or get the justice that they need because they have no protection. They have no Provider, they're the most vulnerable. So now Jesus is talking about this widow needing protection, needing help, needing provisions, and her adversary, somebody won't won't provide it for her, provide what is rightfully hers. hers. And he just won't help her. He says, no, I don't don't want to help you. And um, she's, uh, but she perseveres. She comes every day and she keeps asking. And he keeps refusing. She keeps asking. He keeps refusing. Day after day this goes on. She keeps asking. <clears throat> he keeps refusing. Both of them seem really determined in their actions until one day the judge finally comes to himself and says, wow, why do I have to listen to this woman every day? Why do I have to put up with her every day? You know, kind of has kind of has a little moment where he realizes, wow, if I just give her what she needs, she'll, she'll, she'll get off my back. Jesus had been teaching, that's the mentality of pagan praying. That's pagan praying. Guys, that's how you think God is. That you just got to keep hammering him. Father's not like that. Yeah. This judge said, I'm going to do myself a favor. I'm going to go see if she gets what's right just so I can have some peace and she won't keep bothering me. Now she's wearing me out. It was a Greek term for like giving someone a black eye. She's giving me a black eye. And uh, again, it boiled down that he didn't care anything about this widow. She, he just was sick of the headache of her being around and the, and the irritation she was to him. And uh, Jesus just is again telling us, guys, you know, that's not the way the Lord is. That's not the way the Father is. And that's, you've got to stop thinking of him like that. He's not like that at all. Persistence in prayer is, is for our benefit. It's not to convince God to get moving. It, it's meant to keep us from getting discouraged and losing heart. And that's why Jesus said, I don't want you to lose heart. Let me t- teach you a parable about prayer. Um, Jesus is giving this parable to, you know, to, to tell us that God is listening and he's working. So you need to coordinate with him, cooperate with him, and realize don't be trying to push him to do something that you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Patiently trust him and wait, keep, you know, when you're reminding him, you're actually reminding yourself that I'm still concerned about this situation, amen. Pagan praying thinks that God has, has to be beaten down. Uh, Uh, So that's why you persevere. And Jesus again is saying, no, persevering prayer helps us to be assured that God is listening and and that He is at work seeing the answers are on the way. Amen. Jesus again is trying to reshape our thinking that this Father who seems so distant maybe from you is not distant at all, but He is Abba, Father. Man, you've got to learn to understand that He's Abba, Father. Not cold-hearted, distant, faraway God where you're trying to get His attention. He's Abba, Father. He wants to be your intimate Father. He's right there listening to you, wanting to help you, seeing that you get justice, seeing you get an answer as quickly as possible. Let me just close with this thought for you, and then we'll go. Maybe you've read accounts of great prayer warriors. I think that can be a blessing to us at times and also a curse. Because sometimes when we read these accounts of these great prayer prayer warriors, we we say, man that's how I want to pray. I want to be just like that. (laughs) I uh, remember the story of Elisha and Elijah in the Old Testament. Elijah is going to be taken to heaven and Elisha wants to be with him. Elisha is his, uh, like his, his uh, student and he wants to be with Elijah and uh, he says, please give me a double portion, uh, you know, Elijah, what? Of the Lord's blessing on me, a double portion of that. And remember Elijah said, well, if you're with me when I'm taken to heaven, it'll be yours. And so, so it um, did happen, of course, they were together and the Lord comes down in that chariot and takes, takes Elijah home. Here Elisha now is got the double portion of Elijah on him. But you know what? As you read about Elisha's life, it was nothing like I mean, yeah, as you read about Elisha's life, there's nothing like Elijah's. Nothing. Yeah, and he, he did some pretty cool things, some pretty amazing miracles, but nothing that I would consider as great as Mount Carmel, where the fire came down and consumed everything, you know. I think maybe and again I'm just this is just conjecture on my on, on my part. I wonder if God had to show Elisha, Elisha, I don't need another Elijah. I need an Elisha. Don't try to be Elijah. Now we read about these great people in prayer, and I and God used them, and that was proper that they were that way. But I believe prayer is a relationship with God that you and the Lord develop between yourselves. It really is. Don't try to be like me and I won't try to be like you. Uh, We have these general principles that guide us in how to know the Lord and how to pray. But I believe that the Holy Spirit will help you to develop your own prayer relationship. Just like like in a, a, a friendship or in marriage, you have to learn to get to know one another and read each other's signals if you will. You know what I mean? You know what I'm talking about. You read each other's signals and uh, it's the way it is with the Lord. You you develop your own prayer relationship with Him. I wish I could make it more plain. Your prayer life, loved ones, will grow and develop out of that uni- your unique personality that God created you with. Again, just like no two miracles are alike, no two people are exactly like in their prayer relationships with God. Let the Lord help you. If you're... You just ask him, Lord, help me to develop a prayer relationship with you that pastor's talking about, where it's unique and it's, it just fits us, it fits you and me. Amen. So, let's stand up, get ready to go home. Let's stand with me, please. And um, just let me plant this seed, this, this thought in your mind as you leave, okay, as we leave today. Let's make it a prayer today that Lord Jesus Help us, help me to see the Father more clearly as Jesus is, as you, Jesus, are teaching him, have taught him to be in the Word, because it was such an important thing. Let's pray. Father, as we leave today, we pray that as you have been speaking so plainly and clearly to us today through your Word, that we, we want to come before you, stand before you someday with, with not as many rough edges to rub off as, as we might have right now. So Lord, this perception of who the Father is, we, we pray that you would change that in our minds. Help us to see that, that you love us so dearly and you want to help us. You want to be close to us. You want to be so close that we can talk honestly and, and openly with one another. And Lord, you want to meet our every need. And you're nothing like that sleepy neighbor or that unjust judge. You're God who is quick to hear us, quick to want to work on the answers for us, and also is quick to want to give us good things in our life. Lord, I pray that you would do a new thing here in Mount Hope, a new thing in our hearts regarding our understanding of the Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for your kind attention. Be sure to encourage somebody today before you leave, okay? Tell them you're going to pray for them.